2,000 years ago in a Roman province called Judea. The world was in quite a, a turmoil at that time. There was all kind of strife and enmity, oppression that was going on in the world. The strong conquering Roman Empire had expanded its influence over all of the known world at that time. And many of the people were under great oppression, severe taxes and uh, just political and socioethnic problems that, that just arose because of who people were and they were losing their culture, losing all their identity because the Romans were converting them all over the place to the Roman way of life. Most of the known world at that time spoke Greek because Greek from the Hellenistic period was left over for the Romans to uh, uh, take out. And many of the people were living in impoverished conditions because of the severe taxation and oppression of the Romans. But the people of God, the people of Judea, had a hope. A hope because there had been a promise that had been given by God through the prophets. Isaiah had said, For unto us a child is given, and unto us a son is born. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom and his increase there shall be no end. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, and the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. In a world that was torn with war and torn with oppression, the message of peace and the hope of peace was a wonderful message and a wonderful Christmas uh, activity to look forward to for all of them. For every one of us in this world right now, our world is probably in the worst condition it's ever been in. There are 220 wars that are going on on our planet right now. Wars and rumors of wars, and we all who know the prophetic word that says in the last days there would be wars and rumors of wars, for nations shall rise against nation, and people shall rise against people, and there shall be strife, and there will be famine, and there will be pestilence, and all kind of maladies that will come. But for those who have hope, and those who know the Word of God, know that these things must be, as Jesus said, that these things must be before the end comes. We're looking for a Savior just like those people were looking for a Savior back in uh, the biblical days. For that Savior that they experienced walking among them and healing and doing miraculous things is the Savior that ascended to the Father who is the intercessor for every one of us and the priest of our confession of faith. But he is also the one that we look for. The Bible said we wait patiently for the coming of the Lord, that we anticipate that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. What a promise that is for every one of us, every one of us. So then why Christmas? What is the objective? What is the purpose and what is the reason? Well, when we read Luke 1, we find out that all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Luke, and uh, Mark all uh, give us a narrative of the Advent account. The, it's called the Advent narrative. It's the story of how Jesus was born. All of us know it very well by now. If you've uh, been to church most of your life, then you know all the stories of Christ. You know who the wise men are. 
You know who the shepherds are. You know about the angels appearing over in uh, the pastor and saying to all the shepherds unto you uh, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Go and see him. They, the Bible said, and they left and went to, to the place where he was born, found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. We know the story of Mary at the well in, in Nazareth. We know all of, all of the nuances of Christmas. We've got them down pat by now. I told Debbie, after preaching 38 years Christmas at harvest, you've just about exhausted the subject. What is there left to preach about Christmas if I'm going to preach something new? Well, I've found out that the old, old story is, hallelujah, the same year after year. It has the same kind of reverberation with the Spirit's uh, presence in the Word. You know, the Bible tells us that God's Word possesses power, that God's Word carries an anointing with it. In fact, he said, my Word will accomplish whereunto I have sent it, and it will not return unto me void. In other words, every word that when you speak, when you speak the Word of God and you read these passages, you're actually reading what God says. That's what God says. And every uh, preacher can say at the end of his sermon, thus saith the word of the Lord. To be able to say, thus saith the word of the Lord, it has to be all of the word of God and not any of the craft or of the uh, ability or the flamboyance of the speaker. It's more embedded in the power, the message, than it is in the personality or the virtue of the, of the speaker. It's all about the Word of God. The Bible said He sent His Word, Psalm 15, He sent His Word and healed them. Amen. The Bible said His Word is quick and sharp and it's powerful. Amen. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even dividing asunder of joints and marrow of the bone and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This Word is the most powerful Weapon we have got, praise God. It's the greatest hope builder that we've got. It's the greatest encouragement that we have is this word. And this word is a word to oppressed people and to say to them, unto you a child is born in the city of David, a Savior, a Savior. The world needs a Savior. Why does the world need a Savior? We would have to go back to Genesis chapter 3 to find out the reason why we have Christmas. When you read Genesis 3, you read the narrative. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of, of the fruit of the trees of the garden." But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Here we, here we see an ongoing dialogue, a narrative be, between a serpent who is Lucifer, who is identified as Satan. He is the angel that was cast out of heaven that led a rebellion against God and was cast out of heaven, and he and his angels have formed a, a coalition against all that is godly, all that is... And the Bible even had, uh, it tells us that he is our adversary. Adversary. 
that your adversary, the Bible said, which is the devil. Every one of us have some personality against you. You do know that. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. In other words, his goal is slander. His goal is to, to discredit. His, his goal is to scandalize the people that claim faith. You have an adversary. And the Bible said he walketh about as a roaring lion. didn't say he was a roaring lion. It just said he walks about and prowls about as a roaring lion. Listen, seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. And that person, that person is in dialogue here with God's first family. God's creation, which he created in his image, in his likeness, the Bible said, created he them. He breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living soul. They're the first, they're the parents of us all. And so this record of this dialogue that's going on between the serpent and, and Eve has consequences for every one of us. They are what theologists call our federal head. In other words, they represent us. Democracy is a, a, a federate thing. There, there are people that represent us in Washington. We elect them and send them there, and they are our representatives. They pass laws and legislation which has consequences on us all. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So when the Bible calls Adam and Eve our federal head, they are our representatives. And God has given them a, a commandment, and it says, I'm going to place you in the garden. You have everlasting life. Already got it. Already got it. Everlasting life. You'll never, ever die. You'll never be sick. You'll have everything that you need at your disposal, and I'll come down and fellowship with you every day. Every day will be praise and worship day. Every day will be fellowship day. Every day I'll come down and I'll, I'll meet with you. My greatest ambition, says the Lord, is fellowship with you. And that continues to be the objective of our Heavenly Father. The greatest desire that God has and the greatest purpose He has for every one of you is fellowship and that you may know Him, that you may know Him. God wants you and everybody around you and everybody here today, everybody in this city, on this planet, God wants fellowship with everyone. God wants communion with everyone. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Then when this conversation is going on, people who represent us are involved in this creation story. And we hear Eve in a conversation with the serpent, the Bible calls him the most cunning, the most crafty beast of the field. At that time, evidently, the Bible said he walked upright. All that we know about snakes is they crawl on their belly. Do you know why they crawl on their belly? Because God cursed them. Let's listen to the rest of it. Well, let's look right here first when she becomes somewhat of a legalist. In verse 3, it says, But of the tree of the fruit which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, 
neither shall you touch it. That's not what God said. God said, you shall not eat of it. She added a little bit to what God said. Always when people add to what God says, you wind up with moralism or you wind up with legalism. You get rules passed that, and things that God never really said, that God really didn't uh, uh, put in the, in the uh, equation. And people who wish to make things sound worse or in some cases sound better, they kind of add to what God says. And here we have the first instance of, of moralism and legalism in what Eve says, neither shall ye touch it lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Satan's business is to contradict the word of God. He will always, always come down on the side against what God's word says. He will always be in the mind and heart of people who are so hard-hearted they don't want to receive the word of the Lord. The Bible said when Judas went out, the Bible said, when Jesus identified Judas as the one, the Bible said he went out and the, the condition was that Satan hardened his heart. And the Bible said Satan put it in his heart. When Ananias and Sapphira appeared before the church officials and lied, Peter said, Ananias, why have you allowed Satan to put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? That's why we call him your adversary. That's why we call him the devourer who seeks to devour. And Jesus identified him by these words. He is a murderer, he is a thief, and he is a robber. Why in the world would you even start a conversation with a murderer, a thief, and a robber, and a lie. Oh, Christian people have no business whatsoever. Her first mistake was even entering into conversation with the most cunning, crafty being that was ever created. You see, angels are created beings. They're not born. They're sexless. They're neither male nor female. God created them. You know what to do? To give praise and to occupy heaven with worship and praise. That's the reason God created us. For his glory. Amen. To participate in worship. You know, it's such a privilege to participate in worship and it's such a privilege to be a part of lifting up and magnifying and glorifying the Lord because that is our purpose. That's why God created us. We were born to serve the Lord, born to worship the Lord, born to give praise and adoration unto our Heavenly Father. Can you say amen to that? So then this conversation goes on. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, 
she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. Wouldn't it have been great if those eyes had never been opened? Wouldn't it have been great if innocence could have prevailed? Wouldn't it have been great that this incident of insubordination and disloyalty, this scandal as it is, is called, could happen in the hearts of people that were created by God to serve Him, love Him, and worship Him? What a, <clears throat> excuse me, what a terrible plight that is. And that every one of us in this house come under that heading of the initial sin. The Bible said, for by one man's sin, by one man's sin, death entered upon all the world. Sin and death came by sin. But by one man's obedience, oh, aren't you glad that but is there? One man's sin, one man's transgression brought about death and our fall and the consequences of all of that. But by one man's obedience, in other words, as Irenaeus put it, one of the early church fathers, what we lost in Adam, we regained in Jesus Christ. What we lost in the garden, thanks be to God, we recapitulated, we regained what we lost in the garden. What Satan talked Eve out of, God gloriously provided his son. The truth, a truth. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And truth trumps a lie every time. They heard the voice of the Lord. God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Sometimes we, we preach this and simplify it as if there were only two trees in the garden. But I want to tell you, there were many, many, many trees in the garden. Many trees. And somehow Eve found herself always close by the tree that God said, don't eat it, don't eat of the fruit. Oh, she had opportunity to go into all of the creation of God in the garden. All of the splendor. All the, and Satan was trying to talk her out of something she already had. She already had eternal life. She already had the promise of, and the fellowship of God. She already had, had everything that we look forward to in heaven. She had it. But Satan convinced her that's not good enough. And she bartered away the hope of eternal life as our representative, and we lost it all. As John Bunyan would call it, paradise lost. Every one of us lost something in that garden that day. And for many, many centuries, God moved in marvelous ways amongst prophets 
and preached because he gave them a hope. If you'll look at the 15th verse, if you'll go down to 315, you'll find a, a, a verse that's going to help you feel better because in all darkness, God will appear with hope. Every time you look at a situation that has, has terrible consequences, God always gives hope. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. God has come down and he's speaking to the serpent. Okay? God is telling the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. What's God saying? Now that verse right there is like I told you last Sunday, is the proto-evangelium, first mention of Jesus in the Bible. Because he is called there the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. All of us know that biologically that's not possible. All of us know that that would take a miracle. All of us know that that would take something extraordinary, unexplainable, biologically impossible for that to happen. For the woman possesses the egg. And the male possesses the sperm. The man is the one who has the seed. But the verse right there we're calling the Proto-Evangelium says the seed of a woman. How in the world can a woman give birth and never know a man? In fact, the Bible went so far in the Lucan account, chapter 2, and calls her a virgin. Now, we're looking at a very mystical situation here. We're looking at a young girl who is probably in her early teens. Most theologians say 13 to 15. So we're looking at a young lady here, and there's a promise in the Word of God that says that there will come a time when the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. There will come a time when the seed of a woman. So we find in Luke 1 a little girl named Mary, and she's at the well in a city called Nazareth. I've been to Nazareth. Some of you have been to Nazareth with me. Some of you have been with me to the well where Gabriel, the angel, the messenger angel, paid a visit. And Gabriel greeted her by saying, O thou favored among women. Favored, favored among women. For the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you, and you will conceive a child. And this child shall be great. Oh, I love that, don't you? This child that is in you, put there by God through the power of the Holy Spirit, this child shall be great. Great. And God will use him. And God will strengthen his people. And God will bless his people and restore his people through this child that you will conceive. Can you imagine? As soon as she heard that news, she made a trip. She said, I've got to go see my cousin. 
I've got to go see Elizabeth. I've got to tell her that the angel of the Lord has appeared to me. It's such a, a story. I don't know if anyone would believe me if I told them that an angel, we've not heard from God in 400 years. When Malachi died 400 years ago, there's not been another prophet. So we haven't heard a word from God in 400 years. And suddenly this angel comes and visits me and says to me that I'm going to have a baby. But I've never known a man. This angel is telling me something impossible is going to happen. And the Bible says that she went to Judea, which was probably 40 miles from where she lived in Nazareth. So, I don't know what means she used to get there. It probably took her some time to get there. But when she got there, and the Bible said when she opened the door and went in, that John the Baptist, who was a three-month-old conception in his mother's womb at the time, leaped in his mother's womb. Don't you love it when the presence comes down, when the presence walks in the door, when the anointing comes in the door and becomes a part of our service, when the Lord of glory, the Prince of peace, the bright morning star, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley walks into our service, does anything ever leap inside you? Is there any response anywhere in you that when you get in the Lord's presence, something happens and you just can't hold your, your peace and you just can't sit still, that something starts leaping inside you and something that's on the inside starts, starts rejoicing. The Bible said the baby, John the Baptist, began leaping inside her. And the Bible said, and at that moment, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost. Wow. When Jesus walked in, well, Jesus couldn't have been much more than a, a substance in his mother's womb at that time, barely past conception. John the Baptist couldn't have been more than three months in the gestation period. So here we've got unborn children. Boy, I hope y'all are getting this. Unborn children that are enjoying Christmas, that are enjoying the presence of Jesus, that understand that they're going to play a great role in the redemptive provision that God has said, once again, I will visit my people. It shall come to pass that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. There's going to come a time of rejoicing. There's going to come a time of refreshing from the Lord. Oh, yeah, the oppression will be there, but I'm going to do something so marvelous among you that it will be spectacular. It will be earth-shattering. It is so earth-shattering that that Spirit of God has encircled the whole earth with the message of the birth of Jesus. For unto you a Savior is born in the city of David, a Savior 
who is Christ the Lord. If you'll move on down to the 21st verse, would you, in that third chapter of Genesis, I want to show you something, and then I'll try to stop and let you go. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins to clothe them. Because they had realized and lost their innocence and realized the consequences of their sin and realized shame for the first time experienced shame shame that sin brings shame that wrongdoing brings shame that disobedience brings and because they were naked they said to God God said why did you take these fig leaves and make clothes out of the fig leaves they said because we were naked and God said who told you that you were naked they said the serpent beguiled us. The serpent deceived us. God's answer to that deception and God's answer to that failure in the garden is Christmas. It's Christmas. Listen what happened. Unto Adam also unto his wife the Lord God made coats of skin. What, what does that tell you? That tells you that some animal some living being had to lose its life and had to shed its blood so that its skin could be used to cover the shame of humans. Oh, you didn't get that. <laughs> what does that say to us? It says what Hebrew says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. For years and years and years, the Bible said the blood of animals flowed in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle, in every meeting place they had. There was this provision that was made for the slaughter of animals. And for centuries, yea, millennia, these animals had shed their blood so that man could be indulged of his sinful practices. The Bible said, for the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of an heifer were used for the cleansing, but if they be used for the cleansing, how much more? How much more? Somebody say, how much more? How much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanse you from works to serve the living God? That if animals' blood was sufficient for the cleansing, how much more shall the blood... For ye were not born again of corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Redeemer. Oh, what a Deliverer. Our Lord Jesus is the answer to man's dilemma is Christmas, the coming of a Savior. This young girl, no doubt when she started, as you would say, showing, when she got to the showing part, no doubt the Bible said there were people that probably questioned and people that asked, and her only response was, this is a God thing. 
Have you ever had people come around and say, why in the world are you doing that? You said, well, it's just a God thing. Why in the world are you, you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you acting this way? Well, it's a God thing. I've got something in me. I got a promise of God in me. I've got a prophecy of God in me. I've got a word from the Lord in me. I've got something positive in me. I've got, I'm, I'm carrying around something that, that God told me about. God put it there. God did it. And God's working on it. And God's going to use what I'm doing right now. God's in it. It's a God thing. You may not understand it. You may not can, I may not can explain it to you. It's something that you'll never understand and you'll never explain. Great is the mystery of godliness for unto us a child is born and man became Oh, blessed be God. God became flesh, hallelujah, and redeemed us from all iniquity and purged unto himself a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Hallelujah. Thank God for Christmas. Thank God for Christmas. Thank God for Christmas. Thank God for Christmas. In Luke chapter 1, we have that, that story. And it's such a precious story. Can I read some of it before we leave today? I just want to read some of it to you. I get anointed just reading it. It's so powerful. I, I, I just get blessed. Verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. When I preach about Joseph... I call him the forgotten man of Christmas. Joseph of the house of David. You see, the prophecy and the prophetic utterance was that David's family will sit upon the throne of Israel forever. For the Lord Jesus to be the king, it had to be through the Davidic line. Joseph and Mary were both of the lineage and the house of David. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Matthew's gospel, let me do that. Uh, the Lord's just burning me up with it. Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says, gives a, a lineage and a, a catalog of generations of people in David's line. And it, it follows down, I think, for about 16 verses for 40 times. 40 times it says, and so-and-so begot so-and-so. And Ephraim begat uh, Mephitan. And it goes down and just gives you all of those numbers. But when it gets to the 16th verse on the 40th, the 40th of the begots, it said, And Jacob begat Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. It did not say Joseph begat Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit knew better than to call Joseph the father of Jesus. The Holy Spirit knew that Joseph did not beget Jesus. He said, Jacob beget Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. So then we get 41 generations. And the Bible said there would be 
seven generations. Seven is the number of perfection. Six is the number of man. Six, the number of man, times seven, the number of perfection, is 42. But we've only got 41. Who is generation 42, Brother Jerry? You're looking at him. Because Christ has been born in you. Because you have been named children of God. As many as did receive him, gave he power to become the children of God. As many as led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Hey, you're looking at a daughter of God. You're looking at a son of God. You're looking at the children of God in God's house this morning. We've come to our Father's house. We've assembled in His name. We're brothers and we're sisters in the family of God. The 42nd generation. Oh, that's good. I love it. Let me read the rest. Then I'll let you go. I promise. Verse 28, and the angel came in to her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that, that holy thing which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a child in her old age. And this was the sixth month with her who was called barren, for with God, nothing. Can anybody say nothing? nothing. What can confound God? Nothing. What can overpower God? Nothing, nothing shall be impossible pastor you're talking about impossible things women having babies and never know a man that's not biologically possible our, our scientific technological age would not accept that that's right because the Bible says they would call it foolishness if our gospel be hid it's hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world mm, hath confounded the minds blinded the minds of them that perish lest they see the light of the glorious gospel and be saved. God hath taken the foolish things of the world and confounded the wisdom of the mighty. God hath taken the simple things and the elementary and rudimentary things and confounded the wise and the prudent. Oh, blessed be God. What makes God's anointing and God's power so special is that it causes faith to be instilled in our hearts to believe this verse right here, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Yes, but the doctor said, with God nothing shall be impossible. But the judge said, 
with God, nothing shall be impossible. But, but wait, wait a minute. The counselor said, but with God, nothing shall be impossible. Hey, you need to make that your byword. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Every time somebody says, you're stupid for believing that, say, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Why, that's foolishness to believe something like that. But with God, nothing shall be impossible. Praise God. That's the answer of faith for every one of us. Stand and I'll let you go. And he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered and brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. In other words, they wanted to name him Junior. Well, this father had been dumb for several months because he couldn't believe. When somebody told him nothing shall be impossible with God, he said, I'm going to tell you right now, I'll never believe anything like that. And the Bible said, the angel said, well, you won't say nothing else till the child's born. You just be, be dumb and walk around not with not, no ability to say anything. Boy, get out of my head. Get out of my head. Something just came to my head. I wish I had that, that thing that you could turn. That Well, if you can't say something good, we'll just turn that. And just, uh, just a thought. <laughs> and his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none in your kindred that's called John. We don't know any Johns. Who in the world do you want to name this kid after? He's got to carry that handle the rest of his life and just be called John? There's not anybody in our family named John. And they made signs to the father <laughs> how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote saying, His name is John. Listen to this, and they marveled all, and his mouth was opened immediately. Oh, praise God, God will help you. When you start saying good things, and you start obeying God with your mouth, and when you get your mouth in gear with your faith, hallelujah, God will open you up. He'll open up your mouth. Things that were bound up, you'll find it'll turn loose when you start obeying God with that tongue. Well, that's good preaching. His mouth was opened immediately and his tongue was loosed and he spake and praised God. I hope this Christmas you'll do what Zacharias did. I hope you'll praise God. Don't forget at all of your family gatherings, don't forget to remind everyone that we're still looking for a Savior like they were 2,000 years ago. We look for a Savior today. And when he comes, we shall behold him. We shall behold him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your power this Sunday morning. Thank you for the word of God that is quick and powerful. The word of God that gives us strength and informs us in righteousness. 
We thank you for your word. We ask you, O Lord, to be with our people. Keep your hand upon them and bless them as they go out this uh, Sunday morning to be with their family and their friends. Give them an enjoyable time and help them to join Zacharias and praise the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you is my prayer. You have a great, great Sunday.